This episode of the Badass Ladies Club is sponsored by Badass Retreats. It's time to make your healing a priority. Find out more at www.blcbadassretreats.com. Welcome, friends, to this episode of the Badass Ladies Club. My name's Laurie. I'm here with my girl, Jessica. Hey, guys. And we are excited to bring you a new episode today where we're going to talk all about fear and overcoming it and breaking through it and all of that awesomeness. But first, I want to make sure that you have checked out our new membership option on Patreon. You know, podcasting is really amazing because you can produce free content that really helps support the things that you're passionate about, which is why we really love doing the Badass Ladies Club. And Patreon is a space where we can um, put it out there to get support that helps us produce this podcast for you um, and keep it free and keep it awesome. So check out www.patreon backslash badassladiesclub.com for more info. Uh, you wouldn't believe how much like five or 15 bucks a month really helps us out um, in creating this awesome show and being able to spread more good and love out in the world. So with that, let's talk about our badass of the week. Okay, guys, so our Badass of the Week was nominated by the one and only Anna Conte. Oh, my God. If you listen to our Madonna episode. And it was such a perfect fit that we were like, duh. Why didn't we think of this before? Why didn't we think of this? Badass of the Week is Sinead O'Connor, the one and only. If you don't know who Sinead O'Connor is, um, Sinead O'Connor is an Irish singer-songwriter. She rose to fame in the late 80s. Mm. She was really big in the 90s. Um, She is mostly known for having... Prince's song, Nothing Compares to You. Um, She made a different arrangement of it, of course. Um, But besides her musical accolades, um, Sinead O'Connor is mostly... I feel like people look over her music and they know her for all the controversy. Right. Um, If any of you know the big SNL She got some shit for that. She got some shit for that. Um... Sinead O'Connor, I think, is a voice, an activist, a spiritual seeker, um, a face of mental health, and is just all around what is deemed as a dangerous woman, but I'm living for it. Living. And she just released a memoir. Which I did not know about until Anna told us, but you best believe I'm going to buy it as soon as we're done yes. here. Cause... So she also just announced that she will no longer be recording and touring, which means, Sinead O'Connor, you got some time on your hands. And we would love to have you on the Badass <laughs> Ladies Club podcast. So get yes. on here, girl. Like, So um, I've always loved Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. As I said um, on our episode with Anna and when we were talking about Madonna, that it, whenever I need a good cathartic cry... Uh, Sinead O'Connor's performance on the Late Late Show of Nothing Compares to You. It's this um, orchestra arrangement. Um, It's not heavily produced. And it just, it brings me to tears. She knows how to, like, some musicians and artists can go straight to the jugular, you know? And that's what Sinead O'Connor does, is she... 
she's like a surgeon, you know, like she just knows how to like pierce into you with her voice and her energy and her vibe. Um, but she is a really great example of a dangerous, real woman who speaks truth to power. Um, and we want all of those women on this podcast for Hell sure. Yeah. Like, so yes, love, love some Sinead O'Connor. Sinead O'Connor. Um, it is kind of interesting that today we're talking about fear because, you know, fear in so many aspects holds us back from doing the things that sometimes we truly want to do, you know? And I think about how afraid she must have been before that SNL performance. Right. Um, but went for it anyway, you know, and really standing up for something that you know is not going to be popular on the surface, even if it's not popular with one person, you know, like it doesn't have to be unpopular to the masses, but like standing up for what you really believe in and standing up for your art like that is some bravery and some overcoming fear that I want more of in my life for sure. Um, for sure. She's just like this untamed wild beast of a woman. And I think that it, that we could spin that off and talk about fear. Cause yeah, I mean, think about all these controversial moments that she's had in her career mm -hmm. and how scared she might have been. I mean, I don't know. I don't know Sinead O'Connor, but <laughs> we're about to, but we're about to, because we're going to manifest that. Yes. Um, I also am way into her style. Yes. Like I have said this before, maybe not on the podcast, but I've always like really wanted to shave my head. I've not done that before, but I, Sinead O'Connor was one of the first women that I saw with like a shaved head that I was like, Oh my gosh, that is, it's inspiring. And it's beautiful and it's kind of angelic, but it's fierce and badass and it it it's punk rock. Like it it just has so many opposing uh feelings to it because of who it was on, you know, that Well, you know a woman with a shaved head, you're like, Oh, I'm not gonna fuck with her. Mm. You know, like for real. She's quote unquote dangerous. Absolutely. Because she's let go of the vanity of having like, sorry if that's an unpopular opinion. No, but, but it's truth. You know, the vanity of having the hair, what that means for, f you know, a feminine presenting, mm -hmm. you know, body, right. um, you know, and what that means for gender and art and music and all those things. It's so good. Um, so yes, I love sh all things Sinead. I think we're leading into a bigger episode here with her. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's get today's topic about fear. fear. Um, yes. We have a lot of different topics that we've discussed. Yeah, you fear. can spin fear a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, but I think that, like, what's really resonating about fear with me right now is that it is a motivator for not taking action so often. And it doesn't matter where you position that. Like, one of the first things that we talked about was just, like, fear of judgment. Yeah. Like fear that people or they are judging you, whoever they is for you, you know, like that that might mean something different for everybody. That when you are fearful of people judging your behaviors, your decisions, your actions, that oftentimes you just don't take those actions for fear of that judgment. Um, and that that is crippling. And I know in my life has like... I don't want to say that I wasted a lot of time, but that I did a lot of years ticked off for me while I was fearful of judgment or reaction to like different behaviors or things I wanted to do and try. For sure. I mean, I wish I were more prepared. I, I know that I have 
had lack of action in a lot of areas of my life because of fear of being judged. Um, but even if we put it in like a really simple, easy way, did you see what I posted on Facebook? That sign that said, maybe go ahead and get the tattoo. Your parents are already disappointed. Yes. In you. This is exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Like, like, do you know how many times I would love to have Laurie? I mean, guys, if you're not watching or if you've <laughs> never seen Laurie's bare arms, like her tattoos are colorful and beautiful and amazing. And like, I particularly love your, you know, your gypsy, gypsy woman mm -hmm. on your arm and your lotus flower on your other arm that I'm like, God, I wish I could pull it off like Laurie Wallace. And then there are days where I'm like, I totally could. Duh. But oh my God, my family <laughs> would shit a brick. Well, on that note, I've <laughs> got to tell you, like, I definitely had to swallow the shaking of heads and the, oh, what have you done again? You know, like, because in just the fear of getting a new tattoo, especially like because I had a couple of small tattoos, but when I started getting like large pieces that I was investing Hundreds. 10, 15, you know, 20 hours and thousands of dollars in, you know, I, um, it changed things where it wasn't like I could put on a t-shirt and cover up my tattoos, you know? And I think where you go for broke is definitely like the lower arms, you yeah. know, like that stuff is you wear a short sleeve shirt, you're still going to have your forearm come out that it was a level of commitment where there were members of my family that were like, okay, so this is what we're doing now, you know, like <laughs> okay, that there was no turning yeah. back. Um, and yeah, like, and I was in my mid thirties before I started getting heavily tattooed, you know, like I, but getting through that fear, it was definitely a, no, this is who I'm choosing to be now, you know, and these are decisions that I'm making. And guess what? I'm the same Laurie I was before I had this tattoo, you know, like take it or leave it. And it wasn't as big a deal as my fear told me it was. They obviously your family's fucking awesome and they still love you. Obviously. <laughs> and it's not um, it's not a reflection of who I am. It's just part of what I look like, you know, yeah. and I um, and deciding what you want to look like is something that every human gets to do, you know. Yeah. Um, but like so many other things with fear, what I felt like in my head was going to be the repercussions of that were not at all the repercussions of that, you know, like I was making it out to be a lot bigger deal. What's also funny is like, I haven't had a tattoo in a really long time. I know. Um, but it's, I just got it all out of my system really quickly. I think for a couple of years I went hard. Um, well, you and I talked about getting tattoos, which I think, yeah, they're on, they're on the horizon with this new journey we're on with Badass <laughs> Ladies Club is probably going to happen within the next Oh my year. gosh, we're going to break your tattoo threshold. I can't wait. This is going to be great. Well, I already have one. You do have one, but a tiny one. Yeah. I love that one. <laughs> so fear of judgment, fear of being, uh, fear of shame, like, Ugh. because judgment on the flip side of that is that you have shame around it, you know? Shame cycles are the most exhausting, just like bullshit cycle you could ever be in. It's really, really, um, it cripples your ability to move forward, you know, like that shame of if I do this, then this will happen, you know, and that you almost invite it on yourself, you know, that and all of these things 
with fear have so much to do with like what happens in your head versus what's happening like out in the world in action anyway? Well, I mean, I don't want to say you always have to go into a situation knowing that every action has a consequence. Sure. Um, and obviously there are huge situations that have huge consequences. Yeah. Um, but that most of the time you're still going to be grounded, loved, right. supported. And if you're not, then they're not your people. Yeah. It's, and that's so hard. That's something that you have to grieve, even if it's yes. your own decision. Mm -hmm. Like just because I decided to, you know, change a dynamic in a relationship, whether it be friends, romantic, family, like whatever category you want to put that in, even if it's your decision, like it's still something that you have to grieve because the fear of like, how do I want to put this? If that, if the cost of losing myself is keeping you in my life, it's too high of a price to pay. Bye. Here's the door. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so easy to say. Totally. And it's the absolute hardest thing to follow through on, you know, um, because denying what you need in order to keep other people comfortable will make you crazy. You know, it will suck the life out of you, you know, on all of these different fronts. And so like waking up to the fear of judgment and the fear of the consequences, especially when it has to do with people that you love, you know, like that, that is nobody wants to disappoint the people that they love. God, no. But the, if the alternative is disappointing yourself, then you really have no option unless you're just going to live in that shameful, fearful place, you know, and that's no way to live, which I think is like a big piece of, um, just honoring who we are, you know, and feeling comfortable stepping into that. We've talked a little bit in recent just days, even about, you know, when you step out of that fear and you start to really step into your authenticity, that that means that relationships and the people around you have to change with you. And if they don't, then that means that those relationships and people around you sometimes aren't there anymore. You know, like that love is not earned. Yeah. Love is freely given. And so when it's something that can be taken away because you're following your heart, it is really hard to remember that that's not love. Well, then that just means it was transactional from the beginning. Exactly. And that's, and that's not the way love should be experienced. But when you're, when you love these people in your world, that pains you to think that that's not what it was like. And you got to be willing to let go of this idea of what you thought that relationship was instead of what it actually is when it is transactional, when it means no, Laurie, when you're going to follow your heart and you're going to do what's right for you, that means I can't be your friend anymore. Yeah. I can't be in a relationship with you anymore. I can't, whatever the case may be, you know, like that, then I got to put myself first and say, yeah, I honor that. And I'm more important to me than whatever your idea of me was. Um, and that is, there's fear in that. 
And that fear kept me from changing and growing for a very long time. Amen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fear of judgment and fear of people's reactions to where you're going to go is, um, a big part of this conversation about fear. Um, next on our list is fear of success because then you have to step up and show up. <laughs> yeah. I feel that. Yeah. I mean, so many people say they're afraid of failure, right? Which is bullshit. I mean, failures, whatever it's lessons, learning yeah. failures, feedback, you know, um, but fear of success, I think is a really interesting conversation. Well, yeah, because then you have to keep getting better. <laughs> Well, or you have to like step up and be that person that now everyone knows you to be. Well, because when you put it out there and you're like, okay, I'm stepping into this next level of my business, of my passion, of my career, whatever that happens to be, then you have to back it up with actions and you have to continually move that needle forward. So you have to be better. And sometimes being better is exhausting. Yeah. You know, like sometimes growing and becoming a better, more improved, more focused you, it, it's a lot easier to hang out on my couch in pajamas and watch Netflix than it is to be better. You know, like right. that it requires that you level up and that you do that daily, weekly, you know, like um, it asks more of you than what you were doing before. And that means you have to really want to do that and continue to do that success stepping into success is terrifying it really is and i mean the only way i know from my experience to put that into like a real life perspective is behind the chair yeah at work it could be really easy for me to be a mediocre hairdresser with like sloppy foils a sloppy station giving mediocre haircuts quick turn and burn but when you elevate your services and you get more and more and more and more known for your attention to detail, for your precision, for your um, eye for finessing things. Yeah. Believe me, there are days where I'm like, I don't want to be that good. Right. <laughs> Being this good is exhausting. Yes, that's true. Um, and, you know, not to toot my own horn. I don't mean it in like that way that, you know, I'm not trying to sound full of myself. I'm just saying that goes for any hairdresser. Yeah, but And you I know think what? that that goes that that can cross over into a lot of aspects of life. Good is subjective to the willingness to do some of the things that you do, because there's a lot of hairdressers that could do the things that you do, but they choose not to because it's hard because it requires too much effort mm -hmm. because they don't want to focus that hard because they don't want to weave in between all of it, you know, like, so that that's why people pay the big bucks, yeah. you know, is because you are willing to do that. And so sometimes being good at something just means that you're willing to do it the right way because we all know that doing it the lazy way or the sloppy way is sometimes just easier because it doesn't require so much of you like step in it falls back on this idea of fear of success. People who are successful a lot of times are not any more talented. Nope. They're not any more gifted. Nope. They don't have anything that the rest of us don't have. They're just willing to do the shit that everybody else is not willing to do. 
And that is the difference a lot of times between success and failure is, are you willing to do the hard work? Are you willing to pay attention to the details that everybody else is like, mm, that's just not so important. It's true of pretty much anything that you want to be great at is that you just got to be willing to focus on it and put that much attention to detail into it, which is why you're afraid to step into the success because you know how much work that is. Right. And you're not willing to do it or you are, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, big, big point of fear is if I do this, will I want to continue to do this and maintain this and follow it through to the next iteration? Because it's just going to keep requiring Right. More. And then how do I level up from here? Yeah. Oh because God, then well, I can't mean? just keep on doing this forever. Yeah. I have to somehow change things up, get better, go to more classes, go right. to, you know, it, it's a commitment. It's intimidating. It is. Yeah. It's also so interesting though, how it seriously is just like a one foot in front of the other kind of thing. You know, like if you, if you look at it like the whole, it seems really big and scary, but if you bite it off in tiny pieces, you know, and do it gradually that it's not as hard as staying same yeah. and boring. Well, because staying complacent is like uh, painful in itself. Or like always being the person who just talks about doing things but never takes action on it is, or is always like, no, let's think about it. Or yeah, it's a good idea, but let's wait. You know, like mm. that there's also something to be said for we taking action. Like yeah, we know lots of people like that. <laughs> and that is... Um, Honestly, one of my favorite things about being an entrepreneur mm -hmm. is that when you get to decide, no, it's time to step forward on this or no, I feel like I need to learn more about this first, you know, that I'm really embracing this idea of like, you don't have to tell everybody what you're about to do all the time, that sometimes it's good to just keep it to yourself and then do it when you're ready, you know? Um, because yeah, like I find that really annoying when people are constantly talking about all the things they're going to do, but then you look forward and you see that none of that stuff ever happens, you know? And that, that is, um, living out of fear, man. Yeah. Then get you anywhere. Are we ready for the next one? Tell me, what's the next one? Um, fear that is instilled by media coverage, religion, or school. Psh, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, we've just gone through a year of this. <laughs> so fear, let's start with media, because okay. that's, a, that's a biggie right now. That is a big one. Um, fear is clickbait. You know, like if you look at, because so much of the news and the media nowadays is uh, digital. You know, like there's not, not a lot of people read newspapers anymore or books or anything that's like tangible. It's usually whatever's on your smartphone or your computer or tablet or whatever. That if you look at the things, even myself, like I'm totally guilty of this. If I see a headline that like immediately hits a trigger for me and I'm like, oh no, like you're not telling me this, I will click on it and read that story. So it is a method to get you to click through because now that is the currency that media is using in order to get their message across, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's so much more popular to put a headline out to scare you and get you to read it than it is to put out a headline that's like a warm fuzzy to get you to read it. Like, why well, is fear the trigger there? Like, that's so frustrating that it's... Um, that you're more likely to engage based on the fear factor. I'm sure that there's some deep psychological stuff there <laughs> sure. that are beyond our like monkey brain yeah. to really understand. I think that it goes back to like 
a bunch of probably ancestral trauma that, you yeah. know, we have. Um, but yeah, you know, and I'm guilty of it too. Because I don't have a lot of time to read, I am so guilty of scanning through headlines. Mm -hmm. And so I just make assumptions from a headline that I saw without reading the whole story. Totally same. And so then I like have it in my head that this is fact. Mm. And then like, obviously once I get the chance to go back and fact check it, you know, but then I'm living with this anxiety that what I thought was real is real. And then it's like, oh, well that's not what it said, but it's a lesson every time. And like, Jessica, why did you do that? Well, and it pisses me off <laughs> when I click on it because I'm triggered and then I read the story and that's not at all what's going right. on. But they got me to click through because of the head. Like, it's so tricky and um, yeah. misleading. And I, as much as, you know, truth is an issue right now in our culture because everybody th feels like they're entitled to their own facts and that that's a huge problem. Mm. It is equally a huge problem that every headline is geared to engage us on something that's not real in the first place, you know, like, and I remember when it, this is so funny because I didn't go to college for long, but when I was in college, I was a journalism major. I used to want to be a journalist. And so I was trained later in high school and then in my few semesters of college about being an objective journalist and how you report facts and how you allow the reader to create their own opinion. And you're not there to create an opinion for them unless you're like writing an editorial, you know, right. um, which everything is just editorial now. There's no such thing as fact-based media anymore. But that I always understood and valued the idea of being an objective journalist to the point where it is like disgusting to me now to see what's gone on. There's no journalism anymore. That's like not a thing. It's only how can I engage you and how can I inflame whatever your belief system is to get you to read whatever it is that I have you to read and who's paying me to write this. You know, like whoever's paying me is the perspective that I'm going to support in this. So yeah, media culture and the fear-based cornerstone of that makes it really hard to be an objective reader and to decide for yourself what you think about things for the point that you pointed out, that every time I click through and actually read the story and disappointed, there's tens of thousands of people that aren't reading that story and that are only reading the headline and are taking that as gospel and that's their truth now. Yeah. It is terrifying. I know. And then I kick myself every time I do it. I'm like, Jessica, you're part of the problem. I mean, like, stop. Recognizing you're part of the problem means that you're beginning to be part of the solution. <laughs> like, if you're part of the problem, you don't even see that. Um, but, yes, fear in media and how we ingest our information is critical, you know. And then also this idea of, like, always or all the time or everybody you know like not everything not is everything. the full is gamut you know like like that that's only adding drama and f fueling the flames you know like there are nuances in information that can be misconstrued and for people to like put this big blanket statement over it like it's everybody and all the time is just tells me that you don't know what you're talking about right and that you're just trying to scare me into believing the way that you believe because you need everybody to agree right. with you. you not know, all like, Republicans are this way. Not all Democrats are that way. No. Not all, you know, libertarians are this way. Like, um, it, it's just a way to create 
division. It is really sad. And social media has not helped that. I know we've already had a social media episode. It could be every episode. Oh, oh my God. We could talk about it all the time. And just, you know... And I can find a YouTube video to back up every perspective that I ever wanted. It wouldn't matter what that perspective was, right. you know, like that there is somebody. You could find a YouTube, you know, or an article or you could find anything that supports evidence that the earth is flat. Eating babies. And that people are eating babies I mean, in basements of pizza parlors totally. and they're lizard people. It's out there. Did you know the Rothschilds are lizard people? I, I read it the other day. <laughs> I saw the YouTube video. Um, but I guess... Point being, and maybe I'm way more aware of this now that we have a podcast and we create content and put it out into the world, that anybody can create content to support whatever crack ass idea you have, you know, to back up whatever insanity you want to back up. And if I wanted to sit in my kitchen and make YouTube videos all day long about whatever craziness I wanted to cook up, there would be an audience for that guys. Like that people believe what they want to believe and that there is information out there to support that. And if someone is trying to trigger you and stoke the fear in you, you need to question why. Because, you know, I love this idea that can't we all just be free, independent thinkers and that the problem today is that people aren't willing to think for themselves. It's really hard to think for yourself if you can't get clean data. Yeah. And how hard is it to get clean data in today's world? It's like the hardest thing ever. And listen, I am 1000% guilty of this. So don't be thinking, you know, that... I'm like a Puritan in this way or anything, but you know, like these people who call other people sheep. Oh my God. Okay. But I'm like, you're literally saying if we don't believe the way you believe, then we're sheep, but you want me to believe what you believe. So what? I'd still be a sheep. Right. So either way, am I not? Uh, okay. 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 Interesting. <laughs> It's, that's the the funny thing about polarization yeah. is that no matter what, turnabout's fair play. You know, right. like, so everything you're throwing at me, I could throw right back to you in the same respect. I'm just changing the narrative. Right. Like, it never ends, which is what's partially so frustrating about it. So frustrating. So but- fear in the media and fear in information is a huge factor in driving, again, decisions to do something, decisions not to do something. What are they going to think about it? What are people like, who are people and they, right? Like a lot of times those, they, and those people do not exist anywhere, but in your own mind, because all of the people that you think are thinking all of this stuff, like based on any social media algorithm, you're talking about like seven people, right? That like (laughs) see all of your stuff. But besides that, most of us do not have that kind of reach because we don't hit the algorithm in the right Right. way, you know? And so fear is a self-contained spinoff, you know, that's going on inside of us at all times. And a lot of times the social media and media in general is capitalizing on your fear Mm -hmm. to get you to help them make money. (laughs) Like that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So fear and religion. This is big. I think this is really big. And I I want to be respectful as I go forward with this. It's totally not a disrespect thing. Uh, Oh, totally. Um, I just, um, I love religion. I do too. I mean, it's beautiful. 
I know that we've said some things on here that may indicate that, like, we're some like organized religion crazy witch ladies yeah no like it's not like that i promise um i think that there's beauty in so many religions um but i think that a lot of organized religions mm, i have so many friends that are in organized religions and i don't want to be disrespectful i just feel like it can not saying it is can almost be cultish because they use fear to control people. That was very well said. First of all, okay, <laughs> like because it's not the religion that's the problem. Exactly, it's Thank the fear-based control yes. that is the problem. Okay, yes. so if you have to scare me into thinking that my true nature is going to send me to, to hell, hell or, where I'm yeah. going to live in torturous, you know, pain and agony for eternity then that's maybe not something that I'm going to like connect with and be like, yeah, let's do this, you know? Um, And that when you're indoctrinated into a belief system from the time that you're a very small child, telling that type of story and that type of narrative that doesn't give you the warm, fuzzy feels about religion as an adult, you know, like honestly, the older you get, the more you're like, wow, couldn't you just taught me the beautiful parts of religion and how to be a good person and why that's important and show me through your example, how we do those things. Because I come from a family and a religious background where there was a whole lot of that. There was a whole lot more of the, this is the way we act. This is Mm -hmm. how we treat people. This is what love is. This is what inclusion is. And a lot less on the fire and brimstone kind of, you know, thing. I definitely didn't come from a fundamentalist background. Right. Um, My parents were really cool, even for my Catholic upbringing. Like my parents were really cool and open with so many things. And as a free thinking adult human I have seen things come from organized religion that make me want to speak out against it, show people there's a better way, have a more nuanced um, perspective of spirituality, you know, like that there are, um, in my opinion, when humans get involved in translating religious and spiritual and scriptural texts, things get muddy because then it's about what a human thinks of it, you know, and that everybody's got their own spiritual connection. That's innate in being a sentient being. And that is beautiful and corruptible, you know? And so taking something that's so personal and so sacred to each person and spinning it out of fear And making people feel shame. Again, we're back to shame, you know, like feel shame about their feelings, their natural inclinations, you know, like who they are as human beings and creating that um, that fear based agenda around it is what has corrupted religion for countless tens of thousands of people, you know, Um, but it's all based out of the fear. Like you extract fear from religion and watch how religion blooms in society, you know, like could be so beautiful. It is beautiful in lots of places. Like I feel like in the States, especially, especially we have a really hard time of it because of the truth factor. Yeah. You know, because it is really hard to decide what is real and what is fiction, what is truth and what is just spin that's meant to clickbait us through, you know, but 
and I, I'm so grateful that I have my own experience with religion because of where I came from, because I know the difference, you know, like I am, um, really grounded in the difference between the beautiful parts of spirituality and religion and the dark, gross parts of it, you know, but all of the dark, gross parts are the parts that are cornerstoned on fear and making you feel shame about who you are and what your true nature is. And that shit, there's no place for that nope. in spirituality. There's no place for it in love, mm -mm. you know, like that it is um, part of the problem and not part of the solution. And the more you lean on making people feel afraid and feel scared and feel shame, then you are really just doing the reverse of what anything spiritual is supposed to be about. Right. Like, do you think that any prophet, you know, like if we're looking yeah. like across the scope of like any religion, not just Christianity, um, that any prophet would have a message of any sort of underlying hate or any sort of underlying shame? It just shame? depends on who you talk to, man. Like, Girl, there's lots of people who believe I that. I know that there's a lot yeah. of people, especially in the South, mm -hmm. that have a different opinion on that. Yes. But what I'm saying is that the Catholic school that I was brought up in, the education that I received was about an all-encompassing, loving Jesus yes. who, you know, loved everybody. Um, I don't know, unless I've blocked out the <laughs> things that, you know, um, you know, didn't exactly deliver my message. That's what I got from my education and my time. Um, because that's what's actually scriptural. Yeah. You know, like that's what is, um, because this is one conversation about religion that I super love is it doesn't matter what faith you're talking about. Okay. Like any faith across the board, they all fundamentally have the same, um, tenets about what you do in order to get to your version of heaven, whatever yeah. that is, you know? And so in order to make it through this life and get on to whatever your afterlife of choice is, you have to behave pretty much the same way yeah. in all religions, you know? So it's not hard guys. Right. Like it's really actually pretty simple. What gets hard and complicated is when we humans start to interpret for and make judgments on each other and use religion as an excuse to do that. I got a question for you. Lay it on this me. just came Tell me. me. I'm good. <laughs> um, how do you feel about the term um, like God-fearing woman or God-fearing man? Get out of my head, Jessica. I was just <laughs> thinking about that a minute ago. I do not like that term. I don't like that term either because I'm like, I don't God, fear God. Yeah. If God is something that I have to fear, I don't want to be I'm a out part on of that. It. Yeah, I know. Like, like, totally. I I just the I, God that punishes people and yeah. like that is not my that's not my experience with God. Right. So I feel like, lot, but that's true of lots of things, not just religion. A lot of people have judgments on what something is because that's been their experience. I can't live by other people's experiences. I can just live by my own, you know? And of all of the things religious that I'm super grateful for, I'm most grateful for my personal connection with my God. And that God is not angry and that God is not punishing, you know, like that. Right. So the idea of a God fearing woman or a God fearing man, like I don't fear God. We're tight. <laughs> we're, we're all good. Me and God. We go um, way back. If you ask me, not that this is what the episode I'm asking is about. You. Um, 
I, I think in a way we're all God, like we're God is love and God is in all of us. And I, I just think that God is love. Like that's yeah. all, that's all I really have to say about that is mm -hmm. that God is love and it's bigger than anything that my brain can fathom or wrap around. And I think that it's beautiful and it's infinite and it's, um, undying and you know, it's sacred. Like you yeah. said, it's extremely sacred. Totally. And, um, so I, I like that version of God better. Um, I don't know if you ever <laughs> read or saw eat, pray, love. Mm -mm. Okay. Well read the book. I mean, watch the movie I'm familiar with it. Uh, Liz Gilbert is yes. the author and it was based on like a sabbatical that she took mm -hmm. um, at the end of her marriage and she went to Italy and she went to an ashram in India and then she went to Bali and studied with a guru. And so on this like big sabbatical that she takes, one of her big aha moments, which I think came after she left India when she studied at the ashram for a while was that God lives in me as me. Yes. And that's beautiful. When I saw that, like it, I cried, you know, like yeah. it brought tears to my eyes because it really sums everything up is that God lives in me as me. And is the life you're living, do you feel that way about it? You know, because there've been times I haven't felt that way about it. And then there's times like now where I totally feel that way about yes. it, you know, like yes. being in alignment with your true nature and your true purpose is a divine thing, you know, and you can feel a noticeable difference when you are living. God lives through you. You are infinitely and beautifully made. Like I've never been more connected to ancient scriptural Bible type verses as I have when I'm operating in full alignment with what I meant to be. So yeah. Amen. hundred yeah. percent. All right. So what else about fear do we have? Let me, let me look it up. Hold on. Let me get our Where list out. Off. Um, fear from collective history, um, covering women, race, orientation. Okay. So the first time I like, we maybe haven't talked about this much on the show, but I have always had like a hardcore connection to, um, like women's collective struggle primarily, I mean, obviously, because I'm a woman, but um, really in medieval type times. So hmm. uh, thinking about like when women were sold in marriage for like 25 cows and, you know, like a couple of barrels of hay or some shit like that, you know, like that, <laughs> that women were used. I laugh, as, but it's true. But it's true. Like, yeah. and it's also what wedding rings are about right. and what, um, your bride price and asking permission for, you know, hand in marriage or even having a wedding where someone else declares that you're married, you know, like that all of those things originally were founded in this idea that women were property and they were traded from father to husband as property and that they had a price attached to them, um, which I think has always been one of my hardcore weirdnesses about marriage in the first place. But that women started to learn that they couldn't control this part of their existence, you know, like back in those days. So they found their own ways to manipulate and maneuver through this idea that they were property. And so then you had the women who wouldn't live like that. 
And they were often like the witches out in the forests, you know, that were the wise women who learned how to use herbs and were medicine women. And that were very that that collectively people were afraid of because they refused to live by that standard. But also they went to those women when they needed a love spell or when somebody was sick or when they needed help with some of these medicinal herbs and things that they knew so much about. And so all of this to say, I've always felt like maybe once upon a time I was like burned as a witch. Like in a past life, a million years ago, you I know, like see that. I feel the collective pain of women who are operating out of that medieval space. And so I'm fascinated with like books and stories and um, all these TV shows and stuff about women who are going through those kinds of struggles. And then I read A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. And he talks about that um, marginalized groups like women, or if you're talking about like Native Americans or African Americans, really any marginalized group has what he calls a collective pain body. So it's something that like, even if you don't know anything, like if I never read a book or I never knew anything about it, that when I came into this world, I carry this collective pain body from it's the like generations of women, yes, that were abused, neglected, traded as property, you know, like misunderstood, burnt as witches, whatever you call, you know, like that you can't let go of the collective pain body that you carry from, you know, like or that, you know. I've got Irish uh, roots and Irish blood and that I carry a collective pain body from the potato famine and, you know, like Irish people being marginalized back in the early 1800s and stuff, you know, like that that kind of thing is in your DNA mm -hmm. and that no matter what you feel that and have certain tendencies towards being triggered by those kinds of things because of that. So. Yeah, fear based on things that you didn't personally experience, like the Salem witch trials and mm -hmm, stuff, mm -hmm. but that I have a very strong connection to for some reason. And what a fascinating thing that is, that we have those inclinations. Yeah, you know, this is such a poor comparison, so forgive me. <laughs> Let it out. But it's just like any sort of species, the way I look at that. Mm. So like... Let's look at dogs, for example. Like my little five pound teeny tiny mutt is not a bird dog or a right. retriever mm -hmm. or, you know, that like, but these puppies that are born and then taken away from their moms at eight weeks and then they're put with a family that may not even do hunting or, you know, like anything like that. Yeah. It's in their DNA to just kind of... No, it's instinctual. It's instinctual. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I look at humans and like that kind of collective trauma, that ancestral trauma that I talk about a lot that like, you know, um, back in those gladiator days, our people were probably watching, you know, people getting ripped to shreds by lions and right. shit. And that that's why we can't turn away from a train wreck. Yes. Because it's in our DNA to just watch the carnage, watch the carnage, or it's in our DNA to be rebellious women because you're, you know, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I may have been a witch. I don't know. Um, but 
<laughs> you know, um, it's just interesting when you watch things and you feel a connection to it, even if that's never what you were taught. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about things like the Salem witch trials. I don't know if I have like that deep of a connection to it like you do. I don't know if I feel it that deeply like you just described. But even if I'm watching a movie, something as silly as Hocus Pocus, which is like a comedy, right? A American classic. But, okay. Like, <laughs> um but, but you know, you you look at them and you're like Oh, I kind of feel that outcasty mm -hmm. kind of feeling. I I know that feeling, yeah. and um, that was like the dumbest example ever. It but wasn't though. No, it it's just, perfect. It 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 just like you see something that seems so familiar to you, but you've never been taught that. You've right. never experienced that because it happened. Because to it you. happened. <laughs> Or if it didn't life. happen to you, that generationally you have decided to carry that, yeah. you know, like that yeah. that was a burden that at some point you were like, OK, yeah, I'm going to hold on to this. Um, it's also, you know, like when you speak in terms of it's so funny, like I'm not Native American, but I was born and raised in Oklahoma City. Yeah. You know, like I'm from Oklahoma where, you know, there's Native American cultures all over the world, you know, but like to come from a place that has so many native indigenous people, I feel very connected to native indigenous people, not just native Americans, but like when I went to Australia, I felt really connected to like Aboriginal culture, mm -hmm. you know, because they're native to that land. So again, like in my current iteration, there are, I'm not native to the land I'm living in. Um, but I feel a real connection to people who are indigenous to that space. Um, and that's got to be some kind of collective pain body or mm -hmm. fear based, you know, like instillment that comes from generations back of, you know, or like lots of people talk about past lives, you know, that like maybe that was a past life somewhere that comes back yeah. through somehow and is part of like why I feel so strongly about it today. So I think that fear based on collective wisdom from whatever marginalized, you know, community or group that maybe you are or are not even connected to is a really interesting uh, aspect of fear that uh, we don't always talk about. Love it. Love, love, love it. Um, we then said fear is killed by education, action, connection with others who live on their own terms. So I think that, I mean, we've talked about fear in a lot of different arenas, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like that, but the end result is like, how do you not operate out of or make decisions based on fear? Got to surround yourself with people who are fearless. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Or if you can't surround yourself with them, read about them, right. study them, Educate learn from yourself. them. Like yeah. that if you're only because this is what there's only two things. There's only fear and love. You only do things for one of two reasons, because you're afraid or because you're coming from a place of love. And so you know, turning fear on its head like that becomes if I'm too afraid to make this decision, then how can I 
learn more, be inspired by people who are living the same thing. Because we fear what we don't understand. Right. You know, so anytime someone wants to have a discussion with me about God, whatever. um, Take your pick. You know, LGBTQ rights, um, reproductive rights. um, You know, a lot of people don't understand trans people. Um, A lot of people don't understand. God, like it could go on and on. Like my first thing is, well, Google is free. Right. You know, so before you make a judgment, why don't you learn something, learn something Mm. from reputable sources, please. And please fact check. (laughs) Because if you're afraid of something, sometimes learning about it only disproves why you're afraid of it, which then means we have to admit that we're wrong. Yeah. And as humans, you know, like it has been clinically established. We will look for whatever proves us right. Yeah. We don't want truth. We just want what proves us right. Right. And so learning about things objectively means you have to entertain the idea that you might not have been right about that. Well, yeah. And I think that's really hard to remove yourself enough to be like, I'm almost going to have this outer body experience and not come at it from my experience. There you go. I'm going to come at it as, as if I were a blank slate, I have no experience, no information. Um, and I'm going to objectively learn about this. I think like we would all be in a better place because believe me, there are some things that I do not agree with 1000%. But if someone can explain something to me or help me understand from an educated standpoint as to why they feel a certain way, vaccines, for example, Mm -hmm. then I'm like, okay, as long as you're not making that decision out of ignorance or, you know, just um, like stubborn willpower, you know, then like then I'm okay with you making whatever decision you want with your body, as long as it's an educated one. You know what I mean? And as long as we can agree that that means all decisions about bodies are up to individuals. Absolutely. It's not okay for you to not want to take a vaccine because you want to be responsible for your body, but you want to have the reproductive rights conversation with me. Right. Get off your, you know, like, so for me, it's way more about... So is this a consistent thread through your life or do you just cherry pick when you want to use this conversation because it serves your greater purpose? You know, like, but I'm with you. I also I'm trying to think of a time where I changed my view on something because I learned some new information mm-hmm. and I'm having a hard time, of course, like coming up with it. But it has happened where I have learned something about a topic, you know, usually a hot button issue where I'm like, "Mm." well, while you think about it, I'll tell you one of my favorite scenes from Parks and Recreation. Lay it out. There is this scene in Parks and Recreation where Leslie No, played by Amy Poehler, who is a freaking genius, is um, I wouldn't say on trial, but she's there's a hearing over this terrible misunderstanding in the Parks and Recreation Department. Um, and I, I don't even remember like what it was about, but, um, someone is questioning her and they're like, well, before you said this, but now you're saying this, explain why you're flip-flopping. I don't understand. And Amy Poehler says, well, when I was three years old, I thought that chocolate milk came from brown cows. <laughs> yes. Then I got older and I learned that 
chocolate milk does not come from brown cows. There's chocolate syrup and mm. that's how chocolate milk is made. So I learned something and changed my mind. There you go. And that it's okay to do that. Yes. It's okay to be like, oh, I thought this one thing and then I learned something and I was like, oh, that's actually not how it works. Right. So like, there's no shame in that. Why is Amy Poehler like the voice of reason in every conversation? Like and that's so brilliant. Does. Yes, everything. And that pretty much any topic that we cover on this podcast has a parks and recreation style like uh, <laughs> lesson behind it. That's exactly what I was trying to sum up. So yeah. thank you for that because I still can't think of one, but I'll come up with it eventually. Um, that yeah, if you learn something new, that it's okay for that to change your opinion and perspective on something. And actually that makes me respect you a hell of a lot more. So much more. Rather than digging your heels in and being like, no, this is what I believe because God damn it, this is the way I was raised or whatever, you know, it's like, well, why don't you educate yourself? Right. And it's okay to say, oh, I read this book. I read this article. And, you know, I mean, that can go a lot of ways. You know, it can go for like turn for the worst if you want to like get into like the QAnon stuff. It but. can, but it also comes down to like you are entitled to your own opinion, but you are not entitled to your own facts. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's we're, we don't have time to get into all the details around this. However, <laughs> there are a lot of conversations that I have had with people who look at something completely opposite the, the way that I do. And that it boils down to, well, I don't believe that. And so I'm cool. Like you can believe whatever you want, but when I deliver you a fact that is truth and you just choose not to believe that, that is ignorance. Mm -hmm. Like that's not a new fact. That just means that you're choosing to believe something that is true or you're not. And so if you would prefer to live in ignorance, then learn a new fact and evolve the way you're looking at something. There's nothing to be said for that, you know, like, and that's where it all is going to come down to like, yeah, you can have your beliefs all that you want. And faith, I think, is a really interesting concept, you know, like mm -hmm. that there are so many things that I know to be true, like love is not earned, right. you know, like that is a like, there's probably a lot of people who will factually try and shoot holes in that, you know, that they've got countless examples of when they earned love from someone, you know? Um, but I don't choose to believe that. I choose to believe that love is freely given no matter what, you know, like that if I love you, I love you regardless of what you've done because love is given freely, you know? So yeah, I think there's some things that are subjective and some things that are objective about that. But, um, yeah. but the truth in the fear conversation that we're having today comes down to operating out of fear is just not as rewarding, fulfilling, self-nurturing, you know, as operating from a loving space. And that anytime that you're not doing something or doing something because you're afraid, that has really hard results in life coming back to you. Um, that fear is not the way to go at it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That was a good one. I feel good about this I feel episode. really good I about love talking it. about fear. <laughs> um, so... Guys, I'm sure you have a lot to say about all the things we just talked about, uh, <laughs> which is kind of the beautiful part about having a podcast like this is yeah. that we want um, conversation and collaboration and feedback. So 
Tell us what you thought about this episode. Get on social media and share it with a friend, post it on your stories, tag us and tell us that we're crazy or that you love where we're going about mm-hmm. it. We want to hear more. Also hit us up on patreon.com backslash badass ladies club for your donation to help us support this podcast. Y'all have a badass day. Thank you. Thank you.